Welcome to YouthWorks Effective Ministry Podcast, the podcast that helps you to have an effective youth and children's ministry in your church. My name is Tim Bealhartz. I'm one of the children's ministry advisors for YouthWorks Ministry Support. And I am Al James, one of the youth ministry advisors for YouthWorks as well. We're here today with Mike Snowden, recently started as the youth minister at Willoughby Park Anglican Church in Sydney and the author of the recently published book, A New Freedom, How God's Word Equips You for Life, which has been published by YouthWorks Media. So a bit of a self-promotion here as well (laughs) as uh, promoting Mike and his work. Uh, Mike, how are you going this morning? It's a sunny day. It's winter, but I'm enjoying the the cold with the the sun poking through. So it's great to be here. Excellent. Well, it was really great to have you. It was great to be able to help uh, promote this book and to share this with a wider audience. We love this book. We're really looking forward to the way that it will equip young people in our churches and our ministry to them. Um, But before we jump into the details of A New Freedom, do you want to just give us a bit of a ministry biography? You know, what's your context? How have you come into ministry? What have you done with your time? Give us a bit of an understanding of the context of where this book comes from. Yeah, well, I grew up in the eastern suburbs in Sydney in a small church, which kind of helped me to grow through the youth group there. And I I just loved starting to uh, lead that youth group as some older people mentored me and helped me to grow my faith. But that was a a time of growth for me as I came came to understand God's word better for myself, to read it for myself and to see that it was good. That was a crucial time for me, though, where I wanted to help Uh, younger teenagers as well who were going through that same process. And so I wanted to continue in that. That's what pushed on my further uh, ministry. So I worked a little bit at the church there, but then continued to grow and equip myself by going to more theological college, which prepared me for going overseas with the Church Missionary Society. And I've worked in Spain for the last 10 years, nine years with teenagers over there. And the whole idea was to help those teenagers do the same thing as I've been doing with teenagers in Australia was to help them to see that Jesus is good and to continue in him for the rest of their lives. And a huge part of that was coming to discover for themselves that God's word is good. And so partly it's the book that I, this is the context for it, right? It's the book that I would have liked to have read as a teenager, but also I'm, I really wanted to help teenagers or give teenagers a tool that could help them in discovering the goodness of God's word for themselves. And so that's where it's come from, both for Australian teenagers and for Spanish teenagers to help them to get to know God's word better. Thanks, Mike. And while we're talking about the the title of the book, like A New Freedom, I, I was just reflecting, I feel more free perhaps than I ever did as a teenager at one level. I've got instant <laughs> access to everything that I want. I can stream whatever show. My choices are abundant. Um, I feel free. You know, I can get whatever I want whenever I want. So why A New Freedom? You know, aren't we free? So what's the book about? You know, who's it for? Why do I need a new freedom? Yeah. Well, for for one thing, I, I've kind of gotten this vibe. Maybe you guys can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but this is where the, the title came from, is that lots of Christian teenagers who are who have been going through uh, their, their churches, their youth groups, they've been thinking about God's word, uh, but in their schools, lots of their friends are starting to turn the conversation a bit from rather than saying, oh, God doesn't exist, or maybe they're even saying, oh, God sounds like he's good, but oh, I don't know if I could ever be that that good. They've, they've turned it from that to actually saying, actually, God sounds like a bully and he sounds like he's hateful and he, he doesn't sound good at all. 
And how can you believe in that kind of God? And as a Christian then, if you're hearing that and that's the voice that you're hearing growing up, then maybe all this thing about Christian freedom and being free starts to sound more and more limiting, like we're just saying no to everyone and it all sounds negative. So there's that that sense in which maybe I'm maybe I'm not really free and maybe my friends are free who, who seem to have all these positive messages. And yet when we look at the world and where those messages are coming from, this claim to freedom, we're also seeing the limits of it because you've got things like depression and all these other things that are, are still skyrocketing. And, and that sense of freedom or that search for freedom seems to be out of reach as well for our world. So it feels like everyone kind of needs a, a new freedom. And of course, the, the irony in the title is what I'm presenting is actually an old freedom, just trying to rediscover it in this context of our, our public conversation where Jesus is said to be this limiting uh, tyrant or something like that. But in actual fact, we see Jesus is presenting a, a way to freedom that the world can never uh, quite uh, present and he offers us freedom in a way beyond what we can imagine. Yeah, no, I think that certainly resonates uh, with my experiences, the conversations that I hear out and about, maybe less in children's ministry where I'm situated, but certainly with teenagers and young adults that I hang out with occasionally. That's, yeah, there is that sense that the world is, um, so the Christianity in the eyes of the world is a limiting thing. Mm. So being able to present that is really helpful. You use the imagery of uh, kite surfing kite as a way of understanding worldviews. Um, you much of a kite surfer yourself? Mike? Actually, I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try, keep trying to do the actual surfing, but uh, yeah, I'm still struggling with that too. But the whole idea of, of kite surfing kind of struck me. Like, so seen it happen, uh, done quite a lot. And it always kind of mystified me in some ways, but also kind of really seemed intriguing. It just seemed almost bizarre. And you've, you've got these guys doing incredible stunts and all sorts of things like they're, like they're flying. And it's it's incredible seeing it done done well. So it's when, when a kite, for those who haven't seen it, like pulls, you've you basically got this huge uh, long cord of 15 uh, meters or so that's that's pulling you along over the surface of a water while you while you've got an almost wakeboard type type thing on your feet and you can do these massive jumps and everything it's it's incredible um, but that was a part of it is that this idea of being pulled along and and so it's almost that that sounds well like slavery or something you know you're being you're being pulled along by something and yet at the same time these guys experiencing incredible freedom as they they do these stunts and things it, it seemed like a really captivating uh image to kind of run with and see where it took us yeah it certainly is um it, i mean it's extreme sport i don't think i would have any proficiency in it whatsoever you could probably but, fly a kite um, tim like just not normal kite. <laughs> i i sometimes Maybe. i might be able to fly a kite as a mary poppins style um but uh, the, the way you're using the, the kite imagery is to think about the way we make decisions, how we understand mm. the world, um, this kind of idea of worldview. And you talk early on in the book about, I mean, every worldview has kind of four corners of a kite, um, that we think about our rights, we think about our values, we think about the certain rules that we should obey um, and the results that we want. Before we get to the, the Christian story, can you just give us an example of, 
maybe how someone outside of the Christian faith mm. um, might use those four corners to help make decisions and think about what they ought to do with their life. Yeah, but before I do, I might clarify one thing because it sounded like you'd said that uh, every worldview has these four corners, these four different ways of getting to decisions. But I wonder if that's maybe that's uh, that's uh, putting it too much into saying that we actually all think through all these four things all the time. But let's go to an example first, and then I'll come back to what I, I mean mm. by why I'm wanting to clarify that. So I reckon, you know, you think about almost any spy series, things like that, where you've got the good guys trying to stop the bad guys, and they almost always come to this moment of going, oh, am I going to torture this person in order to get the information that I need so that I can save the world? And they end up almost always justifying it by by that end, by saying, oh, this is going to save the world. So that just means that what I'm going to do right now, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, It it's fine. So that's a, that's a result-driven decision. Um, but then the funny thing is you can come at, at making a decision or justifying something as good by all sorts of other ways as well. And this is what we see in the public conversation all the time where people are justifying what they think to be good by one of these certain ways of, of justifying it, by these sort of, they're almost authorities, right, where you can say, oh, the end does justify the means. But someone else comes at it saying, oh, well, shouldn't we be loving all the time? And so whatever seems like, whatever I can reason as the most loving thing to do, that is then the, the value or the, the, the characteristic that I've placed on that as the thing that justifies it. But that can mean that no matter what the result is, then my this value that I've decided upon um, becomes determin- becomes the determining factor. Can't do and something often, if it's not loving to someone. Mm, that would be that would be your your principal value, right? So one of the things I think we often do, and why I say why I kind of corrected you or wanted to wanted to come back at you on that, saying that look, every worldview has these four things, is that we're often uh, dominate our decision making with just one of them, and then so the different someone, ethical, yeah. philosophical principles. That's right. But then someone can come with another one. So, so if you've used a result to justify your action, and they come come at you with a rule that says the opposite to that, then they feel like they're justified in in saying what they've said is the right thing. And how how do you get past that though? When you've both seemingly got a good justification. And you, you need a way of bringing all those four corners, those different, those re- rights, values, rules, and results together, to in a way that actually that actually works. Now, I should credit Andrew Cameron here for for those four things. Who goes through those in his book, Joined Up Life, and was our lecturer at Moore College, um, and a fascinating way of of basically capturing in a really simple way the way that lots of different worldviews and and people end up justifying what they do as right. Um, so just as an example there, I mean, the thing that jumped to mind for me, um, Mike was, you know, the, with results, for example, you might, you might say, oh, well, I can cheat on an exam test. I can cheat on an exam because that will mean that I'll get good results and, you know, I might get a good job, get into university, whatever. That would be a results driven thing. Whereas a rules or a values driven thing might be, well, you can't cheat. That's a rule that you live by, or it might be a value that you live by, that kind of thing. So that yeah, that's right. Yeah, maybe it's a family thing, even. So there, there might be family things where you go, right. oh, my, I know my parents and, and us in our, our group, we don't as a family 
cheat on things. That's not the honourable thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so you're kind of talking about the way in which all of these things can compete with one another. That's really, mm. really helpful. Now, in the Christian story, um, you know, you've set up these uh, this sort of kite image with um, rights, results, rules, and values. Um, they do kind of map onto the Christian story, don't they? So, you yeah. know, um, uh, and therefore come from a, a worldview that has God at the center, has Jesus at the center. Can you explain how these particular four points um, work, I guess, from a Christian worldview? Yeah. Well, they they work to an extent. So the, the funny thing is, is that we often use a Christian version of these kites to justify things. Like how many times have you heard someone say, oh, this is wrong because God says it's wrong. And then they'll quote uh, a verse of, of usually from the Old Testament and often way out of context. It's come from like a narrative or something. And they haven't actually taken that verse in context of the rest of the Bible. Even lots of people who aren't Christians hurl insults at Christians for saying, you guys don't know what you're talking about because the, the Bible says this and they often go with some sort of um, command or something, but again, out of its original context and out of the larger context of the Bible. So even Christians, so we're, we're the same in, in that we often pick out uh, these things, either arguing something from a command, so that would be mapped with the rules uh, side of things in the world, or we might think about the character of God and what God is like, and that maps with the values. And Or we might think about what, well, how God set up the world in the creation. So that, that starts with the same kind of rights that we might say that we all have as human beings because of the way we've been, we've been made, the way we are. But then also we think about heaven and the new creation, right? And that kind of maps with results, where things are heading, where they're going to end. And But again, we can often take just one of those out of its context and and use it as the kind of slam down argument to say this is what it is. But often we find ourselves butting heads with another Christian who's using one of these other areas as the defining thing. And again, what we come back to is they've they've got to all work together. There's got to be something that's behind all of these that actually gives them their power to justify something as good, that gives them that final authority. And that's where, of course, we come back to Jesus. And so you feel in the middle of the kite with the the biblical narrative. Yeah. So we one one end of the corner is the uh, creation, uh, where we have uh, sort of maps onto part of that triangle. Right at the other end, we have new creation, which ends up in the results. But in the middle is the story of the Bible, the rejection of God, the story of Israel, um, and of course, all coming together in the person and work of Jesus. Why is that center of the kite and the biblical narrative, why is that really important for helping us pull the four corners together? Well, when I say that it, it all comes back to Jesus or is all drawn together in Jesus. It's that Jesus is that authority behind all those things. He's the authority that sh that really reveals God's character, the one who uh, fulfills God's law in his commands and shows us what uh, that looks like. He's the one who was uh, the firstborn over all creation, the heir who owns it all, but also of the new creation too. And it's that story through the middle that shows us how he is crowned to be this eternal uh, king in whom uh, all authority lies. Um, but it's also that same story that gives us that context that helps us to look towards those four different uh, corners, as we say, of the kite to see, am I actually considering all these uh, different things? 
And so that actually gives us a framework that that is joined together, unlike uh, the maybe the world's uh, way of thinking that that doesn't necessarily have an authority behind it that gives a reason as to why you draw two different uh, two different of these corners together. And so as you go through um, the book, you kind of set that up in the, the early chapters, then you have a whole lot of worked examples um, to think about why is this uh, story important for navigating mm. our life today uh, and particularly as we talked about pitching it to our teenagers, our young people to give them a framework to work through. So let's let's do a worked example. Let's just take one of those chapters and very briefly skeleton outline uh, how that works. So we talk about one of the chapters is what it means to be a student yeah. um, and how do we think uh, Christianly about being a student. So the first step that you have is about confirming our location. Uh, you still using this kite surfing analogy, which I really like that you, you're threading this all the way through. What do you mean when you say confirm our location? Mm. Part of it is recognising that uh, we ourselves are coming uh, to a topic like this with all sorts of different things in in our mind. And so if we're going to have uh, some sort of conversation, even with just one other person, we've got to recognise we, we need a common language. And so part of it is to actually define what we're talking about and say, are we actually talking about the same thing? So when I say uh, to being a student, am I am I talking about just studying or am I talking about being there in person? Uh, is it work or not? work uh, because I'm not earning money. And so confirming our location is the moment in which we can actually define uh, some of those things. So for being a student, I'm recognising that that's not just a thing that I do, but it's part of who I am. And so I'm at a school, but I'm not necessarily, or even a university or something similar, but I'm not earning a wage from that work I'm doing. And yet I'm recognising that it's still work, it still gets honoured by a degree or other things, and it has its place in society. So others can understand what I mean when I say I'm doing a student, doing uh, a being a student when, that I'm studying, and they can actually affirm, "Oh, how much work have you got this week?" We're using that kind of work language, and so that gives us a place then to consider being a student as part of being a worker as well, but with a, a specific context. And so you, you've confirmed the location. The next step um, that you kind of map out for us is the idea of examining our conditions. What do you mean by that? So there's two things that I turn about the conditions, and that's, again, pulling off the kite surfing thing, that you're always having to deal with things like the wind that's going on around you and, and trying to read the, the wind and also the, the waves that are going on on the ocean, they're going to uh, move around you as well because life often feels like you're kite surfing through a storm, right, rather than a nice sunny day. Uh, so how do you navigate those winds and waves of life? And so the winds are talk about as our own desires, those things that are, are coming up within our, ourselves and we find ourselves leaning towards one thing as good rather than another. Uh, and the influences being those groups that we're a part of. So whether that's our group of friends at school or our family or even our wider context within our, our city or in the world, maybe even things like the different things we consume like media and uh, social media, uh, all those things come into our things that influence us. And so none of these I'm, I'm saying at this point are bad or good. But we're recognising that we've got all these different both voices from outside and things welling up inside us that we want to acknowledge and try to analyse. 
And so examining the conditions isn't about saying any one thing that I'm feeling is good or bad at this point, but it's trying to analyze what's there. So for being a student, maybe some of my desires that I'm acknowledging, they might be something like wanting to do well or wanting to get a good mark and recognizing that maybe I'm thinking about that because I want to good paying job afterwards, or maybe it's recognizing that I just want to please those around me, or I want to have a good time at school in my lunch break. Maybe that's all I'm thinking about as a student. But then, of course, there's many influences around. We're part of a school community. And so you want to recognize that too. Maybe the school has certain values and things that you can see that they're encouraging you to follow. Maybe your parents are really involved in your studies. And so all of those are going to build into how you understand what being a student means and how you feel and respond to it. But again, we're not saying it's good or bad yet because we need something else to help us to get there. And that's where we get to the third section of each of these chapters, which is the setting up of the kite. And you look at each of those four corners of the kite, the uh, creation and new creation, um, the character of God and the commands of Scripture. Mm. Um, and then running through the middle there is that story of you know, creation to rejection, the story of reconciliation in Israel culminating in Jesus who we are as the people of God. Um, and so we have all of this as our kite. Do you want to just talk us through briefly how does setting up the kite, thinking about those four corners, the story in the middle, all centre around Jesus and who we are, how does that help us to be a student? Mm. Well, for those who are possibly have done a little bit more uh, thinking about uh, the, the Bible or teaching the Bible so that you can see where I'm coming from on this. This is basically going through what I'd call a biblical theology, but trying to also bring into that some of the language, more of the language about the character of God and the commands and things so that I can help uh, teenagers to read those in their context. But it's basically trying to do that again and again with these chapters so they can build up some practice in how to approach the Bible well. And which each of the texts, I'm then trying to give them an example of what it would mean to read that particular text and read it well in its context. Um, so rather than it being a framework that suddenly pumps out all the answers that you need, it's really more uh, a way of recognizing that we want to read everything that we read in the Bible in its context, and we need to keep growing in that as we do it. So the way that that looks like as I go through um, the being a student, I look at various uh, texts, We're usually trying to pick out one for each a uh, little bit as we go through the story of the Bible. Uh, but we see that God worked in creating the world, uh, which was then uh, characterized. So his character we see in the creation as him ruling and his relating and his earning glory and honor and power as he does that. And so as we see him then create humanity to rule and care and worship under him, um, we also see that then humanity goes on to in our selfish ambition to reject God's good work. Um, so we, we end up pursuing things like our own satisfaction, our reputation and provision. And so we can see that in Bible texts, but also from what we see around us. So then we see as we go on in the story that, that God uh, limits the extent of this by frustrating our work so such that it becomes harder and we, we don't complete it. Um, but God straight away begins his work of reconciliation and establishing his promise to restore the goodness of work and rest. And so he goes uh, through the story, uh, through Abraham and through his people of Israel, giving them good commands to follow, which reflect his creation purposes for work. 
Um, and then the story of the kingdom of Israel as that comes in shows us that work was still frustrated and will continue to be so until the problem of rejecting God was dealt with. Of course, we get to Christ Jesus, our king, and we see that he is the one who ruled, who, who cared, who, who worshipped, and he did it all perfectly under God in the way that we should have. He, but he breaks through the frustration of work with this, this new freedom. He's, he finishes God's work of reconciliation, dealing with our problem of rejecting God, and then he's preparing and ruling over the new creation now uh, where work is finally freed from that frustration. So as Jesus people, we are free to work and to rest then in community, actually trusting Jesus who deserves our worship as our ruler and carer. That gives us incredible freedom not to be bound by the ways that the world approaches it, but to actually be ourselves students. So if we've thought about that context of work as applying to student, we can actually then consider what that means. So it sounds a little bit like with the setting up the kite, you know, you sort of mentioned in, in um, that it's not really like a machine, you know, it's not a sausage machine that you get all the information and pumps out an answer for you, but you're assembling yeah. all the information or, as, or some of the information maybe. Uh, maybe you, you don't do it in a completely exhaustive way. You could delve deeper if you wanted, but you're assembling the information, um, the biblical information, and then... I guess the kind of next step then is to go, okay, well, I've got this stuff. I've got this information, the relevant mm. information. I've run it through my kite and then we make a plan of attack. And um, and there's an idea of the so what moment. Do you want to just run us through that plan of attack? Um, yeah. yeah. So and in each of the, the chapters when I do the plan of attack section, I'm quite deliberate in trying to say that this is this is just a beginning. And so anything that I put forward are ideas, but I'm really trying to encourage the reader to be creative in thinking themselves about what they're going to do and deciding for themselves. That was really important to me in writing the book, that this wasn't about trying to give teenagers all the answers, but give them a foundation and a method that they could use to keep approaching any topic that they confront into the future uh, for themselves. Which, and so that's I just, which, I just I attempt to, to model that. Which is hugely important because there's, I mean, theolo- this, is a, this is essentially your book is a handbook for theological ethics, which is a massive, difficult topic. So it's hugely encouraging that you're, you're, you're saying to us here that no, 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 like you, you don't have to, you know, this isn't about having a comprehensive answer straight off the bat. Mm. This is about um, just at least beginning the journey to try and understand how to live in light of, um, in light of Jesus, essentially. Mm. And yeah, and that's, I think, really important to me as I do ministry now here in, in Sydney now I'm back. I, I really want to be helping these teens to keep going for the rest of their lives. And part of that has been recognizing for me that I, I don't have all the answers and I never did. And the best thing that I can do for them is, is kind of walk alongside them as they're growing in their faith and understanding. And so the aim of the book, I hope, reflects that. And it's it's helping them to discover the goodness of God's word for themselves. For one thing, to see, yep, I have seen for myself that this is good. It's not just because someone's told me it's good. I've seen it as I've read it. And then to have the tools to keep discovering that and putting it into practice for the rest of their life. So, you know, that coming back to the student thing and how you put that into a plan of attack. Part of it is I, I try to tell some stories, some basic uh, things of how I'm doing that. But then to like, so to say to you that you're, you're free to learn to rule God's creation. 
So as a student, you're actually continuing to discover those things. So I kind of put a list of different ideas that they could start doing. Maybe maybe it's that they write a poem. They, you know, they, they start discovering more about God's world and how to rule it, or they try cooking something new. You know, there's practical things that they can do. But I'm hoping that as I go through things like that, that they're starting to think, actually, I'd really like to maybe investigate more in this subject and ask more of my teachers so I can discover more about God's world and how to rule it well. Then, of course, as you uh, think about how you're free also to learn how to care for others, I mean, that's got incredible possibilities that I can't even imagine what teenagers reading this book might dream up, or more importantly, as they read God's word and discover that they have the wonderful privilege and freedom of caring for others when others might not. They, they can actually notice things that no one else would be able to around them. They have a wonderful, unique privilege and position in that school of caring for other students that no one else has access to. So I'm, I'm hoping that they'll keep discovering that. They'll try things and then be better equipped to do that than in the workplace and the rest of their lives. But, of course, we're, we're free to also worship God. And so how do you how do you do that? How do you do that in your day-to-day as you share Jesus with other people? And how, do, how can you think about exploring uh, that for yourself? Uh, how can you do that in your own in your own time, recognizing that I'm so free that I can even use all these things that I'm discovering at school or maybe even use my lunch break to, to read the Bible for myself or to chat with my friends about it? And there's a wonderful privilege of time that they have. But again, the, the students are going to be the ones who can consider actually this is what my school is like and this is how I can uh, do it in the space that I am at and then make a decision and, and give it a try. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And and the last section of each, each of these chapters is what you've called fine-tuning the kite and this is where you do help point students to further reading, further things that they can think through. And I, I just think that really evidence is a, a great humility on your part to say this is part of the puzzle but keep going and there's this i suppose a, a meta level of freedom attached that you're actually writing with the sense that you've you've also got the freedom to just keep being free and keep exploring um which i think is great because and you get the sense in a lot of books that the author is writing because they've got the answer to the problem um mm. and this is everything you need just read my book and you have uh, everything you need to understand X, Y, Z topic. And I just really love the fact that you've said this is this is starting on the journey, but all the way through you've got these direct uh, references and encouragements that this is not the end. This book is not all that mm. you will ever need. Um, you've got a lifetime of exploring what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And I just think that's a really beautiful way in which you've, you've framed it. Speaking of beauty, uh, it, it is also quite a, a captivating book to to look at. It's, it's full colour all the way through, lots of diagrams, um, and so it's been presented in a really excellent way. It makes it really captivating, I think. Certainly I found it really mm. engaging to read, and hopefully uh, it's the same for students as well. But I want to just focus in on one of the creative elements. All the way through, you've got these little QR codes that um, – you, know, you jump on your phone and, and that sends me off into different directions, different videos that you've made. There's so much depth in the creative elements. Um, and Mike, you, by the uh, way, you totally jumped on the COVID you. bandwagon with that, didn't you? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's 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 say that. Yes, it's um, yeah, it's only been in the works for five <laughs> years. So if you do the maths, yeah, you know yeah, that yeah. the QR codes were there beforehand. Well, we also anyway, but that's know fine. QR codes uh, are. Yeah, yeah. QR before it was cool. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, 
What if anyone who has uh, people who might follow you on social media may have seen some of the, your creative elements um, before? If you haven't already checked out Mike's um, tenant video, that is <laughs> that just helped me understand the film. Uh, that was brilliant. But tell me, what's the, what was the thinking behind this? Um, other than just you know expressing your creative in, creativity in different ways, why continually point outside the book to other things? What are you hoping that will do for the young people who are reading this? Well, yeah, that was actually a, a challenge because I mean, so, so part of it is I just wanted to kind of bring all my different hobbies together into one place, and so so part of it was just fun for me. Maybe it's coming out of that chapter of being a student you know I'm, I'm i'm discovering more about god's world and i learned heaps through making each of those videos that i i make better videos now than what i did at the start so so that's kind of fun but part of it was also going for me i just know that i, I struggle often to read books or to get that kind of concentration level and i know that lots of others do as well and particularly for teenagers i'm like who's gonna kind of teenagers gonna read a book on ethics. And so I figured it's got to be as interactive as it possibly can, short of being like a Harry Potter book with videos actually in the pages, right? Um, <laughs> if that were possible, that'd be cool. But I thought, you know, there's, there's got to be as many things as I can do that can help keep uh, stimulating those different types of learners in, in their thinking about these things. And maybe it is just that someone needs, it's the kind of book where someone maybe does pause for a while. Maybe they read a chapter but then wait a week before the next one. And they just want to keep mulling it over. And so they can go back and consider some of these things, but also maybe have a bit of fun. So it was like, oh, I'm just going to put all the Bible readings into video as well. Because some will want to read it on the page and that's good, but maybe someone just wants to listen to it or watch it or take that moment um, to engage with, engage different senses in it too. Um, but, but part of it, I was really convicted as going through the, the last few years of some of the things that social media has has brought and the diff, our use of the smartphone, how much we spend on it. So I was also quite aware that that was there. I didn't want to just lead someone off into um going down a rabbit hole of other videos. So I intentionally then had to go back through and put something at the end of all the videos that are linked through from the book, say, time to get back to the book and give it at least 30 seconds so that they'd get bored enough with the video and either click onto something else or go back to the book themselves. I do have to admit there were a few times when I was watching your video and then checked Facebook and then Twitter and, yeah. and then so 40 minutes that's, later, that's I thought, oh, that's right, I need to be on a taken book. <laughs> but, I mean, the same thing goes with all the, all the images and graphics is trying to go, uh, there's going to be people who want to think through these things in different ways and maybe those visuals will help that person. I mean, they certainly helped me to clarify my thoughts. It's obviously been a labor of love mike and i just want to say we really we're really excited about it and so thankful for it and i've been um you know as i've read it and kind of tried to wrestle with the content myself and as i've been um, meeting with youth ministers around uh, western sydney and chatting with youth ministers online there's a lot of excitement about it i think because because it's a hard thing to do like engaging in mm. theological ethics is a hard thing to do for anybody but that you've essentially you've kind of come up with a handbook for theological ethics for young people, and it's very very useful and helpful. Um, my my number one question though is how do we use this well in churches with mm. teenagers in youth ministries and so on? What are, what are your best tips for using this book well with teenagers? 
Well, number one is to remember it's not a silver bullet. And so it's not the kind of magic cure that comes in and saves your youth ministry. Really at its heart is the same thing that we're doing week in, week out with our with our teenagers, or at least what I hope, that our aim is to try and help them to discover for themselves that God's word is good. And there's a number of ways we can do that. And for some of our teenagers, sitting down and reading a book, and hopefully for a, a few more because of the different ways it can be more interactive, that could be a really helpful tool. And so I'm hoping that that's what youth ministers and pastors and parents will see it as, is a tool that they can hopefully uh, be confident in that it will be helpful for their their teenagers or their kids to, to read through and, and to be considering things for themselves. But I'm also hoping it's something we can use as a starting point for different things. So we're coming out with uh, some group studies, hopefully soon as that design process goes through. Um, But that'll enable uh, youth groups to run a nine or 10 week program as an introduction to the material here that you can then go on to for, for students to read a bit more because maybe maybe they need a step into it first rather than dump, jumping straight into a book for themselves. But I'm hoping we're going to provide the tools that means that youth ministers and others can can actually go through this material with their students. And that's, I think, the biggest encouragement I'd want to say is to uh, one of the biggest things we can do is be sitting down and reading the Bible with our, our teenagers, giving them time in God's word, but also time with us because they have a lot of time with the world and a lot of time with uh, their friends and things, which is good. We want to help them to navigate that. They need the they need the map. They need to make sure they have their kite set up well and they're, they're not just being pulled along by a, a world, uh, world kite, but they're, they're confident in that for themselves. And so our responsibility, I think, is then to walk alongside them, to do it with them and to seek as many opportunities uh, to do that as possible. So I'm hoping that that's what this book does it provides some of those things but you might then use it uh for example there's also uh the appendix at the end is kind of like a how to read the bible for yourself like a little a little kind of uh, tool that you can use to read through any passage so maybe you go actually you know don't worry about the content in the book i'm just going to use the appendix and i'm going to grab a couple of teenagers and we're going to use this as our structure to actually read through some text together but that means that they've already got all the tools that they need as well and you're not coming in as the one with all the answers. You're actually reading the Bible together and the authority is going back to Jesus. And so they will discover that as they as they do it. Maybe you're a parent as well, and maybe that's something that you've thought about doing with your uh, your one of your teenagers or you're even a, a grown-up in, in church. You've got a, a bunch of nieces and nephews in the faith, as we'll, as we'll call it, around you. And, and you know, you are asking a parent, oh, like, oh, can I, can I mentor your your child or something, and and you can actually then have a mutual relationship uh, with them as you read um, some of the Bible together, but using some of these things maybe as a framework. Um, so I'm hoping that basically it, it gets you started on some of those practices. And as I was reading the book, um, as much as it's great for teenagers, I mean, far out, it was great for me as I was reading it as well. And um, so some of the some of the um, possibly not particularly aimed at, but the collateral benefit will be that this will help um, many people to think through. <laughs> Um, the issues that you're presenting in the book as well. So yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, let's just let's just say that plainly, right? That if you're an adult and you secretly really like reading books that are more written for teenagers or more at that level, this book is going to be so perfect for you. Like just get into it. Like as in when I say it's the book I would have liked to have read it read as a teenager. Really, it's also the book I like to read as an adult too. So I'm I'm just going to say that straight out. 
get into it. It's it's. I hope it's good. It, it is. It is. It is absolutely very good. It is, it is a great read. And, yes, it will be beneficial not just uh, to our young people in our churches but also to uh, those of us who are a few years out from being a young person. Um, thanks, hey, Mike. I, it has uh, been really, really where, great. Where to... do we buy it, Mike? <laughs> where, I was oh, getting sorry, there. I was sorry, getting Tim. There. I'll let you, I'll let you continue. Give Tim a chance. Come on, Al. <laughs> this is professionalism at its finest <laughs> um the best place uh you can get a copy of mike's book a new freedom at youthworksmedia.net or anywhere else where quality books are sold because it is absolutely a quality book thanks mike for um jumping on the effective ministry podcast this has been a production of youthworks in sydney if you want more resources training and ideas on how we can help you have an effective youth and children's ministry in your church you can go to youthworks.net. Make sure that you like and subscribe and share this podcast with all of your friends to get the word out. And we will talk to you again soon.